It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hey everyone, this is PVSB with the CPG Guys. I am joined by my fellow CPG guy, Brian Gildenberg, a.k.a. the founder and CEO of Confluencer Commerce. We are coming to you live from Barcelona. Buenos dias. <laughs> Thank you for speaking Spanish because <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to help you there. Francais, absolument. Oh, Espanol, oui, oui. no, no. It's Buenos, Buenos Aires, I believe, right now, given the time of day. It so, actually uh, is. Yeah, uh, so. And we're here uh, attending the Shop Talk Europe conference. We are. So what we thought we'd do today is just give you some 
thoughts on everything that we've been hearing. Just a recap of the event. We're not completely done yet, but I think we've heard a lot of the meat of the conversation. Yeah, I feel like and we're, there's we're some themes that. That, that, that have surfaced we thought we'd share and just kind of noodle through them. And as always, make sure to follow us on cbgguys.com and, and, and follow us on LinkedIn. Make sure you've uh, entered in CBG Guys in the search box if you're not already following us. And when you get to our page, click the blue follow button. That way you'll be privy to all of the content that we are producing. I should also say we were fortunate enough to run into many of uh, the co-hosts of our sister podcast. We yes. saw uh, Daniel Torres Dwyer and Ephraim Rosario, aka the FMCG, FMCG guys. guys. Yes, and of course Jennifer Silverberg was here as well. She's host of CBG Scoop with our dear friend Risa, Risa Crandall. And um, it's just it's like most of these trade shows, Brian. It's a real. Um, it's a real reunion. I'll also, before I forget to mention, we are so proud to be allied with a network of executive women, formerly uh, now known as Next Up. Uh, in fact, Brian had the uh, great, great honor pleasure. and distinction of, of interviewing Lisa Baird, the new CEO of Next Up. That'll be airing uh, probably uh, shortly after this episode does. Mm-hmm. But we are, uh, we're so proud to be allied with an organization that is about advancing all women in business and helping to dismantle gender bias in the workplace. So with that, I'll say to Brian, uh, let's get ready to let's recap. Get, let's get ready to recap. You know, let's get ready to recap. No, I, I, I avoided. You avoided the voice because then we would owe Michael Buffet. I know. We don't have to pay money. So. All right. So what we want to talk about are some of the themes that we all heard about people talking on stage, people talking in conversations and meetups and everything. Yes. Um, I think the first thing to do is we have to take the wheel of fortune approach, right, Brian? Which Absolutely. Is, you know, the final, the final wheel competition, they immediately give you R-S-T-L-N-E. Yes. So, of course, everybody here up on stage had to mention ChatGPT and generative AI. So, of let's course. get that out of the way. But yeah. there were some actually interesting examples. I thought yeah. um, I thought uh, right out of the gate, uh, Neil Aurora, who's the global head of e-commerce at Nestle, showed us some very practical examples about how he's been using mm-hmm. uh, how he's been using generative AI around search terms and, frankly, around some of the content he's creating. So there's absolutely some value there, but that that's kind of, we, we can talk for hours about that. I also thought there was some interesting back and forth in one of the sessions I sat through between um, uh, Mondelez and Carrefour uh, as they were going back and forth about, you know, whose chat GPT is going to, because the nice person from Carrefour was saying, well, with all due respect to you bringing us your chat GPT, we're going to have our own chat GPT and we're going to, so I do think there's going to be a lot of, is it, is it going to be more erudite or how's that going to work? <laughs> it's going to be chat GPT. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but no, I think it'll, uh, it was, it's going to be fascinating to see in the same way as we all start to understand what chat, how generative AI vocabulary sort of codifies and, supplements or replace the search in some ways mm-hmm. from a keywords point of view how how that kind of layers in and how who how we think about who owns that that work like because in the end obviously chat gpt is one algorithm so the the only differentiation isn't the answer it's the question and i the notion of having to get the better questions to drive better outcomes from chat gpt i thought is that really was a re- that's a great point i heard a lot of people saying yeah. it's what it's the input is uh it's critically important so you get a m- most relevant output to what you want if you just ask a very broad question you're going to get back a whole bunch of answers that are to some degree boiling the ocean and not as right. refined as what you are really looking for yeah and i think people are going to have to really understand 
that'll be one of the evolving skill sets. But questioner is going to be a big skill set for the next three you know, or four my years. Big que- my big thought around this whole thing is mm-hmm. we're on the chat GPT, so we might as well just beat it to death. Oh, let's do uh, it. Let's just do it. Why don't we ask chat GPT How what it thinks of itself? Because it, fundamentally, it does require more – if you want to get a very refined answer, it will require a more sophisticated question. We've spent the better part of the last 20 years indoctrinating shoppers – on how to do one-each searches on sites like Amazon. Right. And they throw in a brand name or they throw in the name of a product. But if how are we going to adjust and educate and train consumers to a world where they can literally say, I've got a party for 20 coming, what should I get? And the retailer plops back an entire plan of products that they would need, that they eat, that they serve with, that they entertain with. Yeah. That's going to be another step function in consumers' ability to really embrace all the capabilities. The capabilities are going to be there. Mm-hmm. The question is, are the consumers ready to really understand how to use them without an operating manual? Right. Well, and I think that's true. And I, and oddly enough, I mean, this just occurred to me now. So that's <laughs> okay. Let's riff with it. Yeah. So because I, I I've used for years, we give deep thought to everything yeah, we clearly, talk about yes, here. Yeah. It is structured out, but no, it, it dates back to a model that I've used over the years to take a look at content and just basically saying that the the war of the future isn't between digital and physical. Mm-hmm. The war of the future is between vertically organized content and horizontally organized content. Vertically organized content is every search ever because you're it's hierarchical right and every physical store with signs that point out which what's in what aisle mm-hmm. right category subcategory subcategory item vertical yep. there's a whole ecosystem of horizontal content in the world yep. best example of that is pinterest from a content point yes. of view best example of that is tj Maxx from a retailer point of view tj Maxx might as well not have aisle signs nobody cares nobody cares they're just wandering around yeah. looking to see they're just they're yeah. in discovery mode they're in discovery mode and i think what chat gpt is it's the horizontal version of a vertical search product oh that's so interesting and i think it's going to be fascinating that, that when you think about what you'll be able to learn it might be more interesting to look at how people use something like Pinterest to understand how ChatGPT can be helpful than to look at something like Google. So wow. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this as an idea, and I'm always intrigued by anything that that sort of points out the inherent value of Pinterest, even though monetization-wise, it always struggles because it sits in what a, what's traditionally known as a weird part of the funnel. I think ChatGPT might also do that, except that ChatGPT can also completely co-op search when it needs Maybe to. Maybe it's in a different funnel, like a beer funnel from college. That would be that would be superb. That, so, yes, that so, would be outstanding. So ChatGPT right. keg stands so, coming next. So we did give some – we actually did give some credible thought to ChatGPT in yes. this conversation. See, so look at that. Yes, um, we keep right, a license. Move, then let's move on to we our. We are the GPT guys. We are the, we are the GPT. By the way, my name is Chad. <laughs> I'm your new host. Hi, this is Chad. I, I still team. get messages from people again. Oh, that was a good. That was a good. I, I, still, uh, I, still, I, still, think the, I still think the messages you got, though, I will really miss Peter on the podcast for hysterical. Putting something from people on our You're own like, podcast. what's going on? Why are you giving up the podcast? <laughs> Look at the date, people. Look at the date. All right. All right. So Back. then, then we got to move on to our favorite topic, which is, of course, retail media. Okay. So um, what, Brian, were your thoughts around how people here are talking about retail media versus how people in the U.S. talk about retail media? What are some of the thoughts that you would glean from, from what you're hearing? Well, I think the single biggest difference is the <clears> – <throat> and 
anybody that's ever heard me talk about this topic will know what I'm about to say. The Amazon centricity of the United States retail ecosystem translates into the Amazon centricity of the retail media ecosystem. Everyone's chasing the market leader in terms of capabilities, in in terms of structure. In in terms terms of of what retail media is supposed to do in the United States, it's a very Amazon-centric conversation. And that's why you've got pretty on citrus ads that are such a big part of the U.S. landscape in terms of, you know, being able to codify biddable search and all the other stuff that goes along with all of that. Mm-hmm. I think here, most of the retail media evolution is being pushed by retailers that are primarily store-based, yeah. um, with the exception of some of the, and then there are some pure- E-commerce is dominated more by omni-retailers that yeah. are primarily brick and mortar. And then there are also some very large pure plays like Zalando um, that, are, that are not Amazon. No. Where you don't have another large pure play in America that is not Amazon, really, except for its category specialists like Chewy. And you have a category specialist in that here as well. So I think that the interesting thing is, is that I think the nature of the conversation around retail media is very different in terms of how to think about what the planning process looks like mm-hmm. for bringing together store-based activations and retail media activations because it's sort of coming out of that store-based thing. The other piece in the in Europe is that for most of the markets in Europe, a very small select group of retailers are an enormous chunk of your business. Yes. The markets are structured a little bit more like Canada than the US. Yes. From a share point of view, those retailers are often different by market. We'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. But you've got a few retailers that are basically your only access point. So we were watching Ken Demriel from, from Migros in Turkey, who was talking mm-hmm. about retail media in the last bit. Um, Migros is an enormously dominant part of the Turkish retail. Yeah, they are. It's especially like Loblaws in Canada. Especially the, of the yeah. formal trade in Turkey, they have about the same share of it that Loblaws does. Yeah. So the need for brands to use retail media is more is more imperative in some ways yeah. if the retailer is trying to set the terms of the conversation. So I just think it's a different – it's a very different business planning problem here in some ways. And I think in some ways, particularly in the thinking about how you build an integrated store-based plan versus a digital plan, I think the Europeans might be a little further along than we are in the U.S. Well, what I think is common with the U.S. relative to retail media is this growing concern. Uh, Certainly, it's been present on the brand side. I think I heard from certainly uh, the the speaker from John Lewis, it's being heard on the retail side, Mm. is that there is a need for common measurements, common offerings, Everything that makes it easier, frankly, for if they, I heard them say, we want to be treated as a media opportunity, right. not as a retailer. But if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to give brands the measurement techniques yes. so that they can justify shifting their media budgets. Because mm-hmm. until you do that, you're still going to be a trade spend. And that's not where these retailers want to be. They want to dip into the budgets they haven't had access to. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, and whether that is, you know, somebody like, you know, who we referenced before, who's building something like Walmart Connect, which is a almost like a separate business, really. She runs Migros spun off its retail media business. So it's a mm-hmm. little bit almost a little bit more actually like kind of like 8451, where it's sort of its own thing. You've got that piece as they try to reach um, into these new and different budgets and insist that they plan a little bit differently. And I thought that was interesting where they were talking about like delineating very specifically what channels in store are media channels mm-hmm. versus what channels in store are trading channels. And again, because retail media here being pushed by the in-store retailers, you've got a probably clearer thinking around that, to be honest, that I saw here than I've seen out of the U.S. retailers. It was interesting. I was having a little bit, of, as this was going on, I was having a little bit of a side conversation with our dear friend, Laura Hyland from, uh, yes. from BIC. 
And we were talking about this. Who will be I, on our podcast who, someday. Who will be on our, but look, Laura, we're, you're Laura, coming on the podcast. We've, I've explained the story. Yeah, she, she's going to, she's coming on the podcast. She has to come on the podcast. She wants to be on the podcast. She really does. She does. Yeah. She loves us. Who doesn't, what, what's, who doesn't love us? Oh, does she be we're loves just, us. We're adorable. We, we really are. We're, we're like cherubic. Yeah. Okay. So anyhow, <laughs> did I say that right? Anyhow, maybe. It, who knows? We're a bunch of cherubs. We're like in the Sistine Chapel. We're no, up there. We're, we're, yeah, please. <laughs> you imagine less, our faces on the top <laughs> of the Sistine Chapel. Okay. Yeah, the less I we're think about, digressing. Yeah, we have, Sorry. The less I think about you in a toga page. We're on the top of the Sistine <laughs> yeah. Chapel. Happy so, be. so the question is. You know, if if the if the bill is coming from the retailer, by definition, for a lot of manufacturers, doesn't the retail media have to be paid out of trade? And she brought up a really great example. She goes, "Well, what about Amazon Web Services? Yeah. Are they a retail? If they're a retailer and the bill is coming for us to run our our cloud computing yeah. off of Amazon Web Services, <laughs> do they have to do we have to pay that out of our trade as well? well? Yeah, I mean, and even something even a little bit simpler, like Thursday night, like putting an ad on Thursday night football on Amazon. Right. It's like that's an obvious media spend, right? Yes. The fact that it's owned by Amazon doesn't make it a retail media. It makes it a so I think any company TV property owned by a business that has a retail business. So any companies that still have hard and fast rules about if a yeah. bill comes from a retailer, if they haven't already addressed it, they're gonna have to pretty quickly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um so let's talk. I'm going to, uh, to make a mention of something that we were talking about last year, which yeah. I saw appear this year, which was there were presentations on both the metaverse and NFTs. I okay. heard uh, our friend Akta Chopra from from Elf Beauty talk about how they've been investing in in some tasks around NFTs and how that can drive value for some of their most loyal customers and how some other brands have done that. Yeah. I'm also really interested in we had a great presentation by our dear friend Christina Marinucci from Mondelez, yeah. and she was talking about the not metaverse. only wants to be on the podcast, but has been on the podcast. Oh God, she's been on so many times. <laughs> I know, I know, it's the, shameless. The, we Mar- love, the Marinucci cast is me, what we're going to read. It's funny us. when I I put my all of my meetups in here yes. and all my other meetings, and I would list the name, the full name of the person mm-hmm. and the company they're with, and what I wanted to talk about. For my meeting with her, it just said Marinucci. That's all it needs to say. Christina always has my attention. But anyhow, so Christina started off her presentation with a survey to ask people, what are your, okay, the promise of the metaverse, flash in the pan, um, has been realized, may still, um, may still show some promise. Uh, it is actually, it, it's real and it's going to have value or I'm already realizing an enormous amount of value. And decidedly, the results at the beginning of the presentation were at the front end of that, that spectrum. But after she went through and showed a lot of what Mondelez is doing around creating a virtual environment and in partnering and collaborating with retailers on doing this, at the end of it, she gave the same survey and the majority had shifted to, no, this is actually something that has real wheels to it. And, yeah. and it's going to continue to be uh, a focus of, of interest and investment on the brand side and the retail side. So I was actually really pleased to see that it wasn't just a flash in the pan, that there is still some promise. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Um, I think there's two things. One, I do think that the, the metaverse owes itself and the audience that's supposed to be participating in it mm-hmm. just a clear i mean and i think and i actually didn't see this presentation but it sounds like you're starting to get to a point where, where it needs to get to which is what are the specific things you can do in the metaverse that are actually useful rather mm-hmm. than the concept of the metaverse mm-hmm. which you know it's just that's not 
that wasn't as helpful a conversation. I think there are specific things. I think there are very specific things NFTs can do that, yep. can, that can that that can enhance brand value. And I think there's I think there's a lot of application for that. That's always made sense. Yep. I think there's brands that make sense to play with in the metaverse that sure. appeal to that audience in a certain way. I think there's the some high end brands like oh, I think of Mo, yeah. Louis Vuitton, Moet yeah. Hennessy. Those guys should be playing yeah. that all day long. Yeah, and then and I think that the my contention has always been with the metaverse and nfts is that i believe that over time it will change the economics of being famous and when you change the economics of being famous you then change the economics of advertising Ah. that's going to have an enormous impact on how advertising works at some point it will impact advertising probably before it impacts just about anything Mm. else um so that's my those are my thoughts on where i think that goes but I, i do think that people working in the metaverse probably owe somebody like me who's like metaverse curious um but like a typical person of my age and general bearing who's gonna have to make a decision about investing in this an explanation of what it can do that i can't already do in in the regular world because i think that today is still where the the trips up a lot i think the most interesting uh, comment i saw today was there's a video clip uh talking about uh, the promise of the internet. And it was a video clip from Brian Gumbel and Katie. Oh, that one. Yeah. That's the, a good the classic one, yeah. one where she's like, Katie Kirk just says, I don't think I like this internet. I'm already too busy. I can't be bothered with that. Oh, okay. That didn't age well. No, but no. any, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so we talked a lot about things we heard. What didn't you hear or what markets didn't you oh, yeah. hear about it <laughs> since we've been here which is really fascinating you, you pulled this out my, remind my jet lag brain of what i wanted to That's, say I, i'm, I'm I giving you it. the cue yes no i think the fascinating thing and this has been you know this is my first trip to europe for from a business point of view since before the pandemic so right. this is uh so you've got three and a half years of gap sure but when i would come here in the 2010s the Europeans were always, because a lot of them genuinely have global jobs, whereas in America, when you have a global job, your job is to tell the rest of the world what America is doing. Um, so, <laughs> some of the Europeans generally actually legitimately have global jobs. Um, if there is anyone from the EU listening to us on this, we're sorry. We don't mean to be arrogant Americans. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm saying that's the actual. No, I know. The um, No, and I think in this case, from a, you're apologizing for a whole nation, not for us. Exactly, exactly. Even though you're Canadian, what are you? See, you're apologizing for something you didn't do you're canadian i'm a canadian what do we do all we do is apologize <laughs> and come tim, on you, eat tim, you drink tim horton's coffee and you apologize and we apologize yeah. oh, so sorry. Drinking tim you could coffee. bump into me at full speed and i would and be the one apologize yeah well if i bumped you at full speed i'd fall down oh, there you um, go so um but the anyway so back to this the in the in the 2010s late 2010s the europeans were always so much more viscerally aware of what was happening in china yeah um and really talked about it as a possible future roadmap for where European digital commerce and e-commerce and digital advertising is going. Yeah. I've been here for two days. I've heard, I've heard China talked about for 45 seconds. Like I know. Nothing. I've heard nothing. It's nothing. been just – I heard Alibaba mentioned once. Yes. And it was in – it was a side comment. It wasn't the primary purpose yeah. of what they were talking about. So I agree with you. The fact that the Chinese market right now – with respect to Europe is uh, it's carved up. They're not as focused on it and they're, they're looking more westward than they are looking eastward. I think so. And I also think that, yes, I think that there's a combination of, I do think people have begun to realize that the, the Chinese e-commerce experiment is a fascinating one, but it is a very hard one to extract learnings from 
because it is so different. And my fear is, unfortunately, I think China's going to start to take the role that Japan always used to play in international businesses, which is like, we could do this everywhere, except Japan. No idea how to do it. No idea. Nothing we do in Japan works anywhere else, and nothing we do anywhere else in the world works in Japan. <coughs> Sorry, I had to pull a Shri. That no was my homage to Shri. Ah, Shri. We'll edit that out. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, so that's, so I, I do think that's, I think it was fascinating, the lack of and because I think people in Europe are preternaturally <laughs> not inclined to learn from the U.S., mm-hmm. and also that the market's quite different, I think the Europeans are actually trying to sort this stuff out as as a theater of op, like mm-hmm. really trying to sort it out within a European context, which is really really interesting because that's because uh, some of the solutions and thinking I saw here as a result, I think were way better and clearer, I guess, mm-hmm. than it might have been otherwise. So. I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to the entire uh, democratization of this event through the introduction of meetups, like similar to what was done in Shop Talk. Mm -hmm. This, of course, this meetup is uh, essentially a double opt in speed dating opportunity that was uh, enabled through Persona Tech, which is the company that was created by the founder of Shop Talk and Grocery Shop, mm-hmm. uh, our dear friend, Neil Agarwal, who was one of our very first guests on the podcast. It was great. Uh, what I'll say is a couple things. One, because unlike, first of all, Shop Talk here is, is a much smaller venue than Shop Talk yep. in Las Vegas. And as a result of that, there weren't 1,500 tables. There were a couple of hundred tables and much easier to navigate. It didn't take me 30 minutes to get between being running at full pace, hoping to get to it. But that said, I had some really great meetings with quite a number of of people that I wanted to meet with. I met with some brands. I met with some service providers. uh, And I think that it uh, distinctly set Shop Talk and the grocery shop brand apart from every other trade show in the industry. I think they built something that is mm-hmm. much more appreciated, and it it increases the ROI of this event more than more than a lot of it. I think, and and I think at this event too, I probably enjoyed the presentations more at this event, and part of that is because I I know less about Europe, so it's an mm. it's an easier it's easier for me to sit and learn um, a lot and I'm more. I'm probably in a situation where I'm more open to learning, to be honest, to make this my problem, not shop talks. Because uh, sometimes if you're in the U.S. and you feel like you kind of know everything, you get a little I, – I find myself getting a little over my own skis a little bit in terms of my own understanding of things and being a little more critical. Here, because I really haven't been in this environment in a while, it was really good to just sit and sit and shut up for a few days mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> I would also say that just listening to people speak in your English and European accents makes them sound so much smarter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so this there, is true. There's there's a little bit of some it's of that. A fantastic point. All so, right. Uh, why don't you yeah. talk a little bit? We, I want to go back to retail media because sure. um, what are your thoughts on? We've been had a couple of episodes recently around in store retail media, yeah. and it seems to be on the upswing in the states. What yeah. were your thoughts around I, what you're I hearing? I thought that here? was interesting here because I would have because of the comments we made earlier about how retail media here has evolved more under the the watchful eye of the omni-channel retailers, and it's sort of a more omni-channel proposition to begin with, you would have thought then that that would have correlated to a larger number of providers that were enhancing and helping the in-store media component be more effectively measured, more effectively managed from a technology point of view. And apart from our friends at uh, Scala, um, the the um, European arm of Stratacash, who we'll, mm-hmm. be, uh, we'll be hanging out with later tonight, 
apart from that, I didn't see a lot of solutions in that space. Yeah. I didn't see a lot of conversation about it, to be honest. Yeah. I, there may be, I think there's session on tomorrow, actually. But, but I didn't, it was less conversation around the tech enablement of retail media in store and the effective measurement of retail media in store than I might have thought otherwise. And I think some of that is because there's always been a pretty blurry line here mm-hmm. between trade and retail mm-hmm. media. And there's kind of a conventional way of looking at it that I don't know. I don't know that this ecosystem has embraced some of the okay. technological advances that you would need to do in the U.S. Mm-hmm. where people haven't been thinking about retail media from an in-store point of view. Yeah. They've been thinking about, oh, this makes sense. They've been thinking about it digitally in the U.S. So you need digital media in the stores mm-hmm. in order to think it through. Like the screens are an essential part of retail mm-hmm. media in the States mm-hmm. because it's a digital first approach. Okay. Here, I think people are just more comfortable with some of the messiness of the analog measurement system and knowing that because they've been doing retail media in store for a while. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I think there's enormous opportunity in this market to improve the technology and the measurement and the effectiveness uh, of in-store retail media. Yeah. That seemed like a, that seemed like a bit of a miss yeah. or a bit of an outage. Something that, uh, that occurred to me as I was going around talking to some brands and talking to today in particular, I heard people saying big scale brands, we're doing everything 1P. We haven't had a good experience with 3P. I had another person on the brand side say to me today, I'm just trying to find Mm. a capable 3P warehouse Mm. and distribution partner. And I didn't see a lot of companies on the, uh, on the floor that are offering those solutions here. So I wonder if, the marketplace model is to some degree challenged here by the fact that there aren't a plethora of 3P partners down in the U.S. The biggest one, uh, Packable, formerly PharmaPax, uh, had a, uh, a, a, an exit event, we'll yes. call it that. <laughs> it, it, not, not a sell-off, they just exited. Yes. But, um, but, uh, but yeah. I don't know that there are that many here, and I think that may well be still a significant problem for some of these big brands that they're, they're really focused on, the brands that they can sell 1P and yeah. that they can ship to, to primarily Amazon. I, I have a hypothesis about that, which yeah. may or may not be right, but it's because... Because logistics and distribution are so much more expensive in Europe than they yeah. are in the States. Yeah. Everything's more expensive. Petrol's more expensive. Labor's more expensive. Yeah. Land's more expensive. There's a certain amount of scale, I think, you need to be able to run that business efficiently. And I don't know that those operators are as adept at developing that sort of skill set or capability mm-hmm. as they might be otherwise. So that that would that'd be my hypothesis. I just think it's very hard to build an underscaled logistics business in Europe just because it's just economically almost impossible to do so. So I think starting up in the logistics world is difficult. That would be my that would be my guess. I think we're gonna have to refer this over to the FMCG guys to do a little deeper dive I would certainly I would certainly say we are treading all over Daniel and FMC. Yeah, we're gonna step away and say, guys, this is for they're, you. And they've got you know they've got a big they're gonna get Avon Barksdale angry that we're you know, I heard corner. that they were a little bit jealous that the that the CPG guys went from two to three recently, yes. bringing you into the franchise. I, I, I hear there may be things brewing yes, with the FMCG guys that they're going to try and take it a step further. Yes, they might. We we'll, may we may we may even have a gender reveal party at some point. I so. this okay. We're gonna we're gonna blow it. We're <laughs> we're not going to give up two way, but it's right. big. It's, it's really, really big, big news. news. As as Sullivan yeah. said, it's really big. Yeah. All right. Um. Let's talk a little bit about um 
sustainability. What did you hear? I heard, I heard actually quite a number of brands talking about sustainability as a go-to-market strategy and consumer engagement. What are you hearing? Well, same thing. And I think that's, that's consistent with, uh, that's consistent with the Europe that I've known for years. Mm -hmm. Um, Sustainability is always a bigger part of the conversation here than it is in the U S it's a, there are real meaningful business objectives tied to it. There are certain countries within Europe, notably Germany, mm-hmm. where it is an enormously big deal um, in terms of how you go to market. Obviously, a lot of the regulations here are quite different. There's rules and tariffs on like virgin plastic here that are very different than they are in the States. Mm-hmm. So recycling, the European Union has, I think, <laughs> depending on your point of view around what governments do, mm. has either done a heavy-handed or an excellent, depending on your perspective, job of creating an incentive system that almost pushes you into a more sustainable future. Okay. Um, but everybody kind of gets that here. And, um, and as a result, the conversations that brands have with retailers and retailers have with brands around sustainability, they're real, they're substantive, they're tied to performance objectives, and they're led by super smart people who are really committed to it. So mm-hmm. I always find that really inspirational here as a part of the market space because people are really good at, understanding also how to tell that story to some degree to consumers as well this is not something that they staff down to a manager level no. person they're putting c-level people no. of incredible caliber who've had yeah. great operational experience in the past to bear on solving these problems no, i mean i saw the president of diageo europe this morning talking mm-hmm. probably spent a third of her presentation talking about sustainability and purpose and brands Brilliant. uh the chief customer officer danone yesterday who was amazing um did a terrific job of really again you know the commercials and then really talking about how as a business Danone really thinks about trying to what did she put this a great quote she goes um it's it's like sustain it's um there's something like sustainability without growth is unviable and growth without sustainability is unsustainable, right? Or something yep. along those lines. Yep. It's just a really good way to put it. So if I uh, I'll find my notebook as we're talking because it's okay. a great quote. So well, that's good. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, then while you're looking for that, I'm going to make mention of yes. the fact that uh, one thing I did notice here, um, even more so that uh, as a proportion of the attendees, yeah. certainly compared to other trade shows, but even compared to Shop Talk in the U.S., yeah. the brands were here and they were here in force. They brought large squadrons of people yes. from big CPG companies to spend some time at this event. Yeah. I saw large groups from Coca-Cola, from Mondelez, from uh, Diageo. Colgate, Diageo, uh, our dear friend Ephraim being, being yeah. one of those. Of course, yes. They they were here in force and they were ready Nestle to learn and talk. Nestle had a lot of people. Shout out to my old colleague, Alvaro. Uh, Alvaro there we go. But uh, I was really pleased to see so many brands here because I think that makes them much more engaging and, and yes. meaningful experience, particularly for service providers because they're obviously investing in coming to this and wanting to have conversations to talk about how their capabilities can uh, can help accelerate business for these suppliers and have the suppliers uh, there, the manufacturers, yeah. um, is is very important. I think kudos to the team, Sophie Waro and the team at, at Shop Talk for getting the brands here. Yes, yes. And I think uh, one of the brands here was Danone. And yeah. their chief customer, their chief customer had, this, this is a great quote here, sustainability without growth has no impact. Growth without sustainability has no future. Ooh, I like that. That was awesome. We should just take that for ourselves. Yeah. Nobody heard that. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was really good. All right. Uh, lastly, um, talk to me about data because yeah. data seems to underpin a lot. What What are some of the things you heard about the well, importance of data in operational excellence and growth? Well, I think it's fascinating, obviously, because Europe is a uh, 
sort of an interesting and complex history uh, and relationship with data, clearly through the, as many of you who are working in the data space, you know, GDPR is genuinely a four-letter word um, in terms of uh, in terms of the regulations around data reuse and data, like even emailing a spreadsheet with somebody's name in it here is a fraught with complexity and difficulty. Yep. So, um, so you have a bunch of regulations and rules that to some degree make it harder to navigate, like everything in Europe. It's regulated to a degree which would be unfamiliar and uncomfortable to an American. Mm-hmm. But once the regulations are in place, people kind of get used to them and build workarounds for it and figure it out. The biggest thing I thought that was most interesting was um, is um, some of the conversations around pan-European data, um, notably the um, notably Amazon, who talked a lot about sort of their pan-European approach, the gentleman who runs consumables for Amazon in Europe talked about some of the work that they're doing about trying to centralize some of the work that they do across yeah. categories in Europe. Yeah. A lot of it's the same. And then uh, Carrefour talked a lot about their uh, their data lake, their pan-European data lake. And they basically said, look, we've got 3 billion transaction lives or something in there. We've got the largest data lake in Europe. And the idea of looking at Europe as Europe and not as just one country, mm-hmm. I think is a reflection to some degree of the importance of retail media versus just commerce. Because I think historically what you've seen is that at a commerce level, that's a PL business. That's managed market by market. The more you start to drift in the media, the more you start to drift into marketing, which is typically run by a brand at a regional, multinational, continental, or even global level. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a this will be a very interesting back and forth over the next couple of years as retail media becomes a bigger part of the equation. The need for the retailers here to present people with more of a pan-European solution from a data perspective to to enhance the viability and the attractiveness of their media network. Brian, thanks for sitting down with me and kind of noodling through this what is some great, of man. thoughts. Yeah. Always love doing a a, a, a decomposition of, of yeah. what we heard. And our next, next thing on the agenda is to go over to the Skyfall Cocktail Lounge yes. where our friends at Scala will be hosting yes, a little event. And we are the, uh, we're yeah. the celebrities, I guess. That are, yeah. <laughs> we're the show and tell, look, they're the CPG guys. They'll put us up against a wall and we'll do the parade yeah, wave. We will. We we'll, will. Do fo- we'll do photos with people. Yeah, it's great. There's a dunk tank, I think. There, I think that's probably what it is, a bit <laughs> of a dunk tank. Thank you again, as always. And to our Thanks. audience, uh, we appreciate you all was listening in. We have fun doing this. We're glad to hear from so many people that they have fun listening. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.